Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Um, today, we're going to be reading Zechariah 3. Um, I'll give you a minute to turn to it if you would like. It's because it's hard to find. Um, <laughs> um, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And and to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, On a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New King. Uh, It's the first Sunday in spring. The weather is fantastic. I am so thrilled, but even more so, I am thrilled by this series that we have been in called Unshakable Grace. The last three weeks have been tremendous where we see that we stand in the grace of Jesus. We have access into the very presence of God. We have boldness. We have assurance. We have confidence. We have a cleansed conscience. Amen? But sometimes, sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes we don't have a clear conscience. Sometimes we feel guilt. We feel shame. And I'm not talking about when we commit sin, because that's appropriate. I'm I'm talking about thoughts that come into our mind that disrupt this unshakable grace that we rest in. So where do they come from? Why is that? How does this happen? There's an accuser. 
There's an accuser seeking to shake the unshakable grace of God. A voice in our head. We just can't seem to rest in the grace. And today's sermon, we're going to look at where that comes from and then what to do about it. So I am going to convince you in the first half of the sermon that there is, in 2021, Satan, the devil, the adversary, the accuser, the liar, the murderer. I am going to convince you of that, even though it sounds ridiculous in this high-technology age, and I'm going to show you what to do about it. So a quick disclaimer. Years ago, I heard a sermon by a guy named Tim Keller on this passage, and that sermon affected my life profoundly. It was one of the most practical and helpful sermons I ever heard. I never forgot it, and it's helped me nearly every day of my Christian life. I look back, I found out that sermon was preached in 1990. Who was here, raise your hand, was not born in 1990? Yeah, most of you, so I am old, right? Well, I did a little more research, and it turns out that um, Keller drew some of his ideas from a guy at... um, uh, Westminster, a guy named Ray Dillard. So I'm going to draw some, some comments from both of those, some ideas from both of those guys. So full disclaimer, not all of this is mine, but I'm kind of making it mine, but it did come from those guys. So <laughs> let's pray, and then we'll jump right in. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us assurance of our salvation Father, help us this morning to see how the accuser can change our thoughts and minds and help us, Father, to rebel him and to not hear his words, but to rest in the salvation of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, Zechariah, holy smokes, are you serious? Written in 500 B.C., 2500 B.C years ago. Can you imagine? How can this passage be relevant today? Well, what do we see when Katie read that passage? What do we see? What we see is this is a courtroom scene. This passage, this chapter, Zechariah 3, is a courtroom scene, and we have several main characters in this courtroom. It's a courtroom. So in verse 1, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. So Joshua was a high priest. This isn't Joshua from the book of Joshua. This is hundreds of years after that. This is another Joshua. He's a high priest. And the high priest was to represent the people before God. So when you see the high priest, you think of yourself. In this passage, Joshua is you. You're in the courtroom, and it says he's standing before the angel of the Lord. So that brings up the second character in this courtroom scene. The second character is the angel of the Lord. Now, Old Testament scholars scholars tell us that when we see the angel of the Lord named that way, it's a pre-incarnate Jesus. It's not Gabriel. It's not Michael. It's Jesus. Jesus is there standing with you. And then Satan. Satan standing at his right hand 
to accuse him. So you're in court, and you're being tried, and you're being accused, and this adversary. If you look at the bottom in the ESV, it says uh, under Satan, there's a little note that says the accuser. That is one of Satan's main roles, to accuse you. His very name means that. So here's what Satan do. He, he does two things in your life. He tempts you, and he accuses you. He lays in front of you, dangles sin, and says, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Go ahead and do it. And when you succumb to the temptation, when you do it, what does Satan do? He turns right around and says, look at what you did. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're a child of God? How can you be a child of God? He tempts, he accuses. He tempts, that's what he does, right? And then the Lord God is there as well. And of course, he's the judge. It's his court. So we have Satan, the accuser. He's the prosecuting attorney. We have the angel of the Lord. He's the defense attorney. He's our advocate. We have you, Joshua, the high priest, being accused, and we have the Lord God. So there is the courtroom scene. You're on trial. You're standing before God, being accused by Satan. This sounds really weird, doesn't it? But I want to tell you, this is not the only place where this shows up. Book of Job, one of the oldest books of the Old Testament, we see Satan coming to accuse Job right before God. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, talks about Satan, the accuser of the brethren who day and night accuses. So three times we have that. So it's not the strangest thing in Scripture. It's not unique. So let's look closer. There's a case against you. There's a case. The key, and what, what is it that Satan accuses us of? If you look down at verse 3, there it is. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Ben talked a bit last week about what it means for the high priest to stand in the very presence of God. If you look back at what scholars say, here's what happened. Before that one day, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, when the high priest would go before God, he had to take a week and prepare in isolation. He had to go in isolation so that nothing would taint him, nothing would, would, would corrupt him in any way. A week of isolation. Then the night before, he stayed up all night reading and praying. Then in the morning, he got up and he took a bath, and he did it in front of everybody. They had some kind of a screen set up, and he took a full bath, and he put on new clothes, bright, clean linen. You get me? Then he went in, and he made an offering for himself. Then he came out, took off the clothes, took another bath, put on new linen. Then he went in and made an offering for the priests. Then he came out, and guess what? He took off his clothes, and he took another bath, and he put on new clothes, and he went in to give an offering for the people. Three baths, three sets of clothes, a week of isolation, just in case there might be something. And the people cheered him on when he did this. They were exuberant. They were happy their sins were going to be taken away. This is all Old Testament stuff, right? All Old Testament, right? Right? 
I got to go to page two. <laughs> so what do we have here in Zechariah 3? You are standing before the God of the universe in filthy clothes. The word filthy means covered in excrement and vomit. So understand, understand the horror of you standing before God, covered in excrement, and the accuser saying, yeah, look at him, look at him, look at him. You're, you're covered in filth. You have no place here. You do not belong here. You deserve death. You can't come here with boldness. You're going to die. Remember what Ben said? They, t- they had a rope around the ankle of the high priest with bells around. So when the bells stopped moving, they knew that he was dead and they couldn't go in. They hauled him out with a rope and there you are standing before God and you're covered in excrement. You have no right to be here. So let me give you an example, okay? You're thinking to yourself, what, what does this have to do with me in 2021? So the first thing I want to just, just bring to your attention is something we can all relate to. We have dreams, right? So I graduated from college a 1,000 years ago, and for 40 years, I have had a recurring dream about being in school, about being in college, about being in university. You know what that dream is? I wake up in the morning, and I realize there's a final, and I haven't been to class all semester, and I haven't studied, and I haven't done the homework, and I got to get to that final, and I got to take it. And so I'm, I'm trying to find the classroom. I'm trying to find where the final is held. I can't even find that. But this horror then just covers me with, I, I'm not prepared. <laughs> I, I haven't studied. I don't know the material. I'm going to fail. And if I fail, I can't graduate. If I graduate, I can't be an engineer. If I can't be an engineer, I can't get a job. My life is over. I'm ruined. I don't measure up. I had that dream for 40 years. Anybody else have a dream like that? Yes, it's common. It's very common. Here's another one. You get up, and you're going to school. You're going to work, and you realize you have no pants on. Okay, good. <laughs> you ever have that dream? One of the most common dreams is you're, 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 you're going to school, you're going to class, and you look down, you have no pants on, and this feeling of being exposed comes over you. And it's like, where does that come from? One of the most common dreams that we have is being Naked and exposed. And in the dream, like, we, we run, you know, and we do all these things to try to, it's very common. Where does that come from? You and I, today, in 2021, have this deep-seated anxiety, anxiety about not measuring up, about being exposed, about being covered in filth before God. It's within us. It's within us. Let me give you another example. Do you all of a sudden sometimes recall 
something just out of the blue, something terrible you did or said to someone, maybe a month ago, maybe a year ago, maybe five years ago, where all of a sudden it comes to mind, and it's so real that you twitch almost. It's like, oh my word, what, what was that? Can't I give that up? Where does that come from, that thought? It just comes into your mind. What is up with that? Or maybe you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and you sit up in bed and you remember something you said or did years ago. Where does that come from? The accuser brings these sins to life. We can't let go of them. They, they, they're not dead sins. He gives them life, and they become alive to us, and we can't let go of them. They become so alive to us that we flinch, and we wake up in the middle of the night, and they discourage us, and they debilitate us, and we feel like we can't do certain things because we can't let them go. We can't be the Christians that we need to be because we can't let those things go. And these accusations, these things come at very specific times in your life. Very specific times. I started writing out a few examples. I came up with a bunch. I'll give you a few. We're all ready to meet our friend for coffee, and we're going to talk to them about Jesus. We've prayed, we've read, we're all ready to talk, and we're driving there, and all of a sudden this thought comes in our mind, who do you think you are? What are you going to say? It just flies into your mind, and it discourages you. And it's like, yeah, I don't know who I am. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? And we get cold feet, and we don't dare say what we want to say. Where does that come from? That thought. Here's another time. Worship. We're here at New King Church, and we're getting ready to, to sing songs to Jesus, to, to worship in song. We're getting ready to partake of communion. And all of a sudden, a thought comes into your mind of a, a sexual thought of somebody. It's like, where did that come from? I want to worship God. Or a thought of violence comes into your mind. It's happened to me. It's like, where did that come from? Or I think, oh, that guy in the front row, yeah, he said something to me last week. And there's something that just all of a sudden it interrupts my worship. Why? There's someone that doesn't want us to witness. There's someone that doesn't want us to worship God in fullness and grace. And these thoughts come in. Prayer. We're all ready to pray, and we cannot keep our mind on the prayer. We're thinking to ourselves, yeah, what about my, I got to make a, a casserole tonight? And All these thoughts come in. It's so hard sometimes. Where does it come from? Reading the word. We start reading the word, it's like, oh, did God really say that? You ever heard that before? I think that's a Genesis. Has God really said? And all of a sudden we think about, man, this is 2,500 years ago. How is it going to fit? It's so culturally inappropriate. Where do these thoughts come from? And we can't even read our Bible sometimes. You starting to believe me? You feel this? You understand what I'm talking about? When trouble comes in your life. When things go bad, when things go wrong, when you get sick, when you don't get the job, when, when, when you lose your job, you think, oh, what kind of a God is this? Where does that come from that doesn't come from Scripture? Where does that come from? Or you think, yeah, I deserve it. 
You been there? You had that thought in your mind? Oh, two more, two more, just two more. (laughs) When you fail, when, when you fail, Satan's whispers in your ear will look at you and what you've done. A son or a daughter of God would never act like that. Who do you think you are? He attacks our identity, he attacks our standing. It's a whisper. Where does it come from? Last one. So, especially when we fail, especially when we succeed. What do I mean by that? Satan whispers, well, look at you and what you've done. And pride sets in. Pride sets in. Boom! There it is. Where do these thoughts come from? Have I convinced you of how the accuser works? So that's the first step. That's the first step, is to understand that we are in a spiritual battle as Christians. Amen. We are in a battle, and we have an accuser. We have an adversary. He wants to discourage, discredit, debilitate us in every way that he can. He wants to prevent us from standing in that unshakable grace of the blood of Jesus. He doesn't want us to witness. He doesn't want us to read. He doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to worship. And he is there in our ear. It is like we have a Bluetooth earbud in our ear connected to his voice. That's what it's like. But knowing that, starting off, this was the helpful part of the sermon years ago, knowing that that's where some of these thoughts come from is the first step in understanding how to deal with it. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, we should not be outwitted by Satan because we are not ignorant of his schemes. So to understand how he works and how he witness, whispers and how he discourages is the first step. So after that, what do we do? What do we do? We rely on the Word of God. Listen to me. We rely on the Word of God. We can't trust our feelings. They go up and down. Some mornings I wake up and I don't feel like a Christian. Does that mean I'm not one? No. We can't trust our feelings. We can't trust our emotions. Nothing like that. We can't. We have to stand on the word of God. Remember Jesus in Matthew 4. Taken into the wilderness by Satan, by the adversary, by the accuser. What is the first thing he does? If you're the son of God, yeah. He attacks the identity of who they are. If you're the son of God, and how does Jesus respond? With the word of God all three times. We have to have the word of God. The unshakable living word of God. That's what we put our trust in. Not our emotions, not our feelings, not even how we act. We have to go to the word. So let's get back to the chapter and let's do just that. How about that? The word of God. So first of all, in verse 2, we see the role of God himself. And the Lord God clearly 
and emphatically pronounces his ruling. So verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, I love how Katie read it. The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? The Lord clearly states his ruling. It's not a verdict. A verdict comes from a jury. I actually looked that up. A verdict comes from a jury. A ruling comes from a judge. He is the judge. He gives his ruling. And he says, Satan, you're out of order. I rebuke you, and I rebuke you again. I will not listen to you. You have nothing to say here in my court. I have chosen Israel. You have been chosen by God. You have been sought out and chosen by God. He wants you. He sent his son to die for you. He wants a relationship with you. You have been chosen. You're a smoky brand, plucked from the fire, it says. We have little bonfires at my house all the time. When my kids were growing up, all I want to do is have a stick and have it in the fire, right? I still do that, right? I want to have a stick. I want to have a fire. And I want that to be on fire. But as soon as you pull it, right, you want it on fire, and you want to run around with it. You want to poke your brother with it, right? You want to light your, the cat on fire. I don't know. You want that so bad. You pull it out, and the fire goes out, and all it does is smoke. So you know what I'm talking about. It's a smoky brand. Why are you described as a smoky brand? You have been pulled out of the fires of judgment by God. Jesus has borne your judgment. You have been pulled out, but there's still a little smoke clinging to you, right? There's still a little smoke. You still smell a little smoky. That's the sin that we have with us, and Satan loves to point that out. You are a brand pulled from the fire. You are chosen. You're a brand pulled from the fire. And so when the accuser accuses, God won't listen to a word of it, not one word. So who hears it? You do. (laughs) It's for you. It's in your ear. The Bluetooth is in your ear. God won't hear it, but you do. Recognize that. God has given his judgment. You are chosen. You are pulled from judgment. Yes, you've got a little smoke clinging to you. That's the first thing. The second role is the role of the advocate. Look at verses 3 through 5. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in those filthy garments. Remember that, covered in vomit and excrement, literally. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Again, the angel of the Lord, this this is a pre-incarnate Jesus. Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. What is the role of the advocate, our defense attorney, of Jesus Christ, the righteous? He removes those filthy garments. He takes our sin away. He takes our iniquity away. That's what he does. He clothes us with new garments, clean and white. And then it's so funny at the end of this little section, Zechariah kind of jumps in. He can't, he's, he can't be quiet. 
even in this courtroom before God. And it says in verse 5, I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. I love it. You're being clothed from head to toe. And the last thing is the turban. And Joshua is jumping up and says, put the turban on him, put the turban on him. He's ready to go. He's clean from head to toe. And then it says, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. Did you see that in the verse 6? The angel of the Lord, Jesus is there saying, yes, put the turban on him. He's clean from head to toe. I have borne his iniquity. I have taken away his sin. He is clean from head to toe. Amen. Now there's something that you may think. If Jesus is our advocate, if Jesus is our defense attorney, there might be this little thing that crawls into your mind that might say, well, how does this advocate work? Does he go before God and does he say, hey, Godfather, um, that Eric guy, I know, I know, he's done it again, he's sinned again. Just be patient with him one more time. Just overlook that sin one more time. Do you think that's how it works? No. You may think that. And you may think that at one point, God's patience is going to run out and say, okay, I've had it with this guy. And we lose our confidence. Jesus doesn't go and plead for mercy. Jesus goes as our advocate, as our defense attorney, and makes a case based upon fact. And what is the fact The shed blood of Jesus. That is the case. We have no other plea. It is the blood of Jesus that saves us. So he makes a case. Thank God. When Satan accuses us, we plead the blood of Jesus. How are we doing on time? I don't even know. Our role. What about us? So we have... We have the role of God. We have the role of the advocate. What about our role? What about our role? Verse 6, the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. This is Jesus speaking to Joshua, speaking to you, solemnly assuring you. The language is clear and specific. You cannot miss it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those that are standing here. The accuser loves to accuse us and say we are unfit for service. You can't do it. You have nothing to say. Who do you think you are? You can't be a witness for me. This passage tells us no, absolutely not. You are chosen. You are fitted for service. We have a purpose. We have a role. We have work to do. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So we need to fulfill the charge that God has called us to, to do God's service, to keep his charge, to rule his house, to have charge of his courts, to have the right of access into his very presence with boldness. Oh boy. There's one more thing I want to tell you before we close. Verses 8 to 10. Here now, 
O Joshua. Hear now, O New King Church. Hear now. Hear me. Hear the word of God. You and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant a branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, and on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. There's a branch. Behold, there's a branch. There's a stone. Joshua, behold the stone, an engraved stone with seven eyes or seven facets. There's a day when all sin and iniquity will be removed. How? There's another Joshua, you know. Did you know that, that in the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic, there's only one word for Jesus and Joshua? It's the same word. Did you know that? Yeshua. Yeah, man, you're on top of it today. It's awesome. You remember me talking at the beginning about the high priest and all the stuff he had to do and a week of preparation and seven baths or three baths and three sets of clothes and all that stuff. Everybody cheered him on. Remember all that? This Jesus, listen to me, this Jesus, he prepared for a week with his disciples. The night before, there was no sleep for him. Instead of being clothed with fine and clean linen, he was stripped, stripped naked. Instead of cheering him on, there were words of betrayal, Words of abandonment, words of denial, hurled at Jesus. Even his father forsook him. Instead of fresh water, he was bathed in human spit. You know, there's one little portion in the Gospels where it says they, he says, I thirst, and they lifted a sponge up to his lips. Now, this is a little graphic. Do you, did you ever wonder where that sponge came from? Do you know what that was? Where's a sponge? This is the desert. This is... Roman soldiers used a sponge for toilet paper. Did you know that? They dipped it in vinegar. <laughs> they lifted it to the lips of our Savior. And he took our sins. He was clothed with them. It was engraved into the palms of his hands so that he might lovingly clothe you. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for it that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's time to close. I'm going to quote a verse from one that Ben spoke on last week. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. 
sum it all up. We, we know how the devil works. We know his schemes. We know his witness whisperings to us. We know that God has pronounced us chosen and plucked from the fire. We know that Jesus has saved us, his blood. We, we plead his blood. We have a role. We have things to do. Therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, New King Church, let you and I draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, you and I, consider this, how to stir one another to love and good works. See, we have a job, we have a role, we have things to do to stir each other up. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that brings me to the very end. What day? Verse 10 of our chapter. In that day, <laughs> in that day, says Zechariah the prophet, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, Every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. <laughs> we flourish. We have confidence. We rest in the blood of Jesus. We have hospitality. We invite our neighbors. That's the gospel, my friends. That's the gospel. So understand the schemes of Satan. Turn off the Bluetooth. Don't listen to it. You have confidence by the blood of Jesus. Time to pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage written so long ago. And we pray that you would continue to give us confidence through the blood of your son, that we would be able to, with confidence, go about the work that you have given us to do. Number one, to show the excellencies, to tell out the excellencies of Jesus who called us from darkness to light. Help us to do that, Father, in the confidence of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.